Gonzanis, Evan Lazar, uh, who is in Foxborough, just getting out of the Patriots interview room where the guys are having a, having a ball. <laughs> Dancing, having a – people are having fun again in New England. What do you know? They, they do have some fun every once in a while. Yeah, that Myers touchdown uh, was a great capper. Very to, cool uh, moment. 45 to 7. Um, God, this, this Lions Steelers game just hurts my eyeballs. Um, 45 to 7 win. Like the score alone should tell you this was a great win, but this was easily the most convincing wire to wire, both sides of the ball, impressive victory of the season. Yeah, impressive victory probably since the Brady era, right? Yes. I mean, we're, we're talking about multiple seasons. And I think what stands out the most is we are no longer talking about this team with moral victories and, oh, well, they have a rookie quarterback and he looks pretty good and that's a good thing for the future. We are talking about playoff seating, a divisional race, how far the Patriots can go this season right now and that's a great feeling right it's a great feeling that the patriots have put themselves at six and four with four straight wins in a position where we can seriously discuss the afc east as a legitimate thing that the patriots could go out and win at this point they're a half a game back of buffalo they have two games head-to-head -head against the bills still on the horizon and it is not that crazy it's not that unfathomable with how hot the patriots are right now that they could compete with buffalo in the afc east this season and if you thought that the Patriots were going to be here already one year half year into the Mac Jones era uh, then you should go ahead to Vegas and and bet a lot of things in the future because you must have some sort of crystal ball because th this team did not look like we were going to be here four weeks ago and how quickly a month of good football can change things and you go out there and you beat a playoff team in the Cleveland Browns 45 to seven, not just by a touchdown, not just by a game winning field goal by Nick Folk at the end, a 45 to seven beat down. Uh, we are talking about a real good football team here in Foxborough right now. That's firing at all cylinders in all phases, uh, offense, defense, Mac Jones coming out of his slump a little bit here today, but that defense continues to play terrific football. This is Mac's best game possibly ever, uh, but uh, definitely in, 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 in several weeks, because you're right. Yeah. It, things got sped up for him a little bit uh, in the last few weeks, and, and he looked like, you know, a rookie at times. Uh, yeah. just, you know, just stuff uh, that, you know, you weren't seeing from him in the first couple starts. But this was a – I mean, you could argue – three of the best throws he's made all season he made today uh yeah. you know dropping one in the bucket to Jacoby uh that terrific throw obviously uh for the touchdown to Kendrick Bourne and then one other that escapes me at the moment um the uh the one to Henry uh yes. an, 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 another great throw to Hunter Henry not the touchdown just one that he dropped over his shoulder yeah the, the corner route yeah in the corner route I mean uh, big time throws ball exactly where it needed to be on, on everything, throwing receivers open, but playing with confidence. I thought the way they switched up the game plan too, starting to run some screens over to, um, to, 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 um, to Bolden, uh, to the miles, uh, uh, <laughs> My, miles Garrett, there you to go. Miles Garrett's side, yeah, yeah. um, it definitely helped kind of, uh, you know, ease, ease back on some of that pressure. There's a lot of things you saw in the first couple series that were, the types of things you worried could get away from them in this game. Yeah. The Browns imposing their will, being able to run, getting chunks of yards on first down, working into the play action there. And that first drive was kind of that uh-oh moment. Like, 
this is how the Browns beat you. And this is how the Browns can score a lot of points sometimes um, by playing this type of football. And then they Patriots just answered and then the game completely changed. The Browns just stopped doing whatever it is that they were doing well on that first drive. Uh, the ball, it became Baker Mayfield's game and that's right. exactly what the Patriots wanted. And I mean, this, and again, it's hard to say is this Baker Mayfield's been inconsistent and he might just be bad. It's hard to fully say. Um, sure. So again, it's always one of those situations where how much of this was what the Patriots defense did to him and how much was the fact that they forced a pretty mediocre quarterback out of his comfort zone. Yeah. So I, I thought, Look, we, I think in the beginning of the season, we were impatient, and I, I'm an impatient person at times, I'll admit it, with the Patriots and how they were going to develop on both sides of the football. But we came on this postgame show in that first six weeks of the season and talked about a lot of coaching issues that the Patriots were having, right. so just game plan issues, play calling issues on offense, not being in the right calls, 12 guys on the field on defense, all sorts of mismanagement of the game, aggressiveness right fourth down decision making that kind of stuff and now what, what we're seeing I think more than anything along with Max development and, and some of the pieces around him on offense coming together we are seeing the Patriots coaching staff figure things out and, and really get a great feel for their team defensively they have built a blueprint with the early down zone mixing, right? You have cover three, you have cover two. You don't man know, on third. Right. Yep. You don't know what it is, man zone, uh, early down type of stuff. Rotations on the back end, allowing that front four to eat and Matt Judon and Christian Barmore to get after the quarterback. They have that foundation figured out or that blueprint figured out on the defense side of the ball. And then offensively, this was probably Josh McDaniels' best play calling and game plan of the entire year. He talked about the screens to Garrett's side, uh, the reverses, uh, the way they were integrating all their playmakers. And all the at the right thing. time, too. It, every yeah. single one of them seemed to work. You, you think you can overuse those reverses, but every single time they, they, caught, they, they caught the Browns off balance, they got chunks of yards, right. uh, and they kept them guessing. They kept them off balance all game long. Right. So all the coaching stuff is coming together, too, which is extremely important as well. And I thought in this game, just on a big picture sense, uh, Josh McDaniels, Kevin Stefanski is the hot offensive mind, right? He's like a Kyle Shanahan, a Sean McVay. Josh McDaniels went out there today and owned him. Like He, he really put him in his place and said, hey, I, I can do this, too, pretty well. But you're also looking at the way the Patriots defense matched up against the Browns on the opening drive. The Patriots were only in base defense on three of 11 plays and the Browns were able to average over 11 yards per right they, they started out nickel. in nickel right they started out light and yeah. then what ended up happening was the Patriots seemed to go to more base looks on early downs right and they honestly baited the Browns into turning this into a spread game and that's what Devin McCourty is just at the podium a second ago just said is well we kind of adjusted to their running game on the opening drive and the opening script and we put some different personnel out there and then they adjusted by go turning this into an empty spread type of game which is what we thought the Patriots were going right. to do was it surprising they came out that way to start right so they they got they baited the browns into going away from their running game yeah. that's essentially what happened and by doing that they turned it into a spread empty type of game and they put it in baker mayfield's hands and once they put it in baker's hands the game really started to hit another level for the patriots defense and they figured this out and they hit the ground running at that point on they bait him into the kyle duggar interception uh, jc jackson on third down almost comes up with another pick they go interception punt punt 
and get that pick all the way down to what was it, the three or the four yard line to give the offense a short field and punch in another touchdown. But you look at the chess match between Kevin Stefanski, and I know everybody gets mad at me when I put Steve in there too, but I'm going to call them the Belichicks, okay? Both both Belichicks, Steve and Bill. The Stefanski-Belichick chess match was handily won by Bill Belichick, handily, and Stefanski blinked. If the Browns had just stuck to their run game principles, tried to run the football a little bit more against their base defense in the first half, then maybe this game wouldn't have gotten away from Cleveland. But when they turned it into a spread game and they spread them out and they tried to throw the football against the Patriots on early downs out of empty, that is what turned the entire game on its head for Cleveland and the Patriots were, you know, gangbusters at that point on. Yep. Yep. Um, and, uh, Again, it's just it, you look at this, the numbers here for Baker. I mean, just astonishing how little Cleveland was able to do. But switching yeah. back over to the offensive side of the ball, the Patriots, I, I mean, they scored on almost every touch and not just scored, scored touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, they just and dr- the drives 99, 92. I mean, this was a complete and, and the third down efficiency. And this is where it's kind of careful what you you don't want to praise them for being as good as they were on third downs you don't want to get yourself in this many third downs because they sure. a lot of third and eight third and six whatever early but they converted them all and that really was the game there um extending those drives keeping those drives drives going uh and just you know taking it and running away from it uh, just talk about mac today uh in in terms of what you saw overall from him Yeah, just quickly on the third downs, the Patriots seven for nine on third down in this game. Cleveland was one for 11 on third down. So you talk about 45 to seven. Huge difference. I mean, that that's that's a huge difference when you win the game on third and fourth down like that offensively and you control it defensively for the most part. That's going to get you a lot of wins in the NFL. But Max specifically, I think the two things that that really stand out uh, to me and, and really one in particular is for a rookie quarterback how quickly he processes things and gets the football out is extremely impressive every single week. Even in the weeks where he doesn't have the best downfield accuracy or doesn't have the best statistical performances, the fact that he can get the ball out in two and a half, 2.45 seconds, I think is his average time to throw this season. And it's not all just check downs and quick game concepts, right? There, there's some downfield concepts and vertical concepts mixed in there as well. And his ability to pull the trigger and get the ball out and read the coverage quickly and understand where his answers are and where to go with the football, it's beyond rookie level. It, it really is. And, and I think we have talked about max ceiling so many different times in so many different ways. And I think a lot of those ceiling people did not expect that Mac would be able to have a game like he did today, where not only was his processing great, not only was his accuracy great, but is also the high level throws down the field. You mentioned the Hunter Henry uh, corner route, Jacoby Myers on the, uh, on the fade from the condensed split uh, some third down throws over the middle of the field, throwing those into tight windows, the goal line stuff and the red zone stuff to Hunter Henry, all of these types of uh, big time throws down the field is what I would call them. Uh, the, the Kendrick Bourne throw right uh, up the seam. It was an absolute rocket. And Kendrick Bourne actually said after the game, and I kind of understand now that play a little bit better, that he probably got a little bit too close to the safety in the middle of the field. He probably could have flattened that out a little bit to stay away from the safety even more. And Max still fitted in there between the two defenders. So those types of throws, the Henry throw, the Bourne touchdown throw, the Myers fade. I don't know if 
people that evaluated Mac in the pre-draft process thought he was going to be making those types of throws at the NFL level. Yeah, the quick game stuff, the quick processing, the check downs, the willingness to just take a, a penny or a dollar, whatever that phrase is. Maybe we could have pigeonholed him to that, right? A game manager type that was just going to kind of go about his business. But Mac is well, well beyond that. And his refinement with the details is just this. It's really great to watch his confidence grow every single week in terms of his downfield throws, right? Because early on in the season, I don't know if he pulls the trigger on that touchdown. I'm not, I'm not sure he's there in week one and week two. But here in week 10, uh, we're starting to really see him pull the trigger down the field more. Yes. Uh, and that's, you know, it, that takes a little time, right? You have to, yeah. you got to feel you can, you got to feel you can make that throw before you attempt that throw sometimes. Right. Um, and I think that was part of it is he was uh, a little reluctant to pull the trigger on some, what might be more challenging or competitive throws uh, into tight windows like that uh, until you kind of know that you've got it in your bag. And I think that that's the next step in his evolution is making more of these big time throws down the field, fitting it into tight spaces. Uh, the touch is there. The touch is there on short stuff out of the backfield or on, like we said, those couple of throws to Henry and Myers. We've seen him make those kind of throws where he drops them in, but you do want to see him being able to drill the ball uh, right. you know, downfield to the sideline, up the seam uh, into, into tight windows like that. Because again, uh, you know, a lot can a lot can happen there. We are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts the uh yeah. we'll get to myers in a little bit but the uh i yeah. want to talk about stevenson um this was a guy who and again you'd been reporting all week he was trending towards playing while Damian yeah. harris was not so you knew it wasn't going to be a brandon bolden only game hugely important that they did have one of those two uh harris or uh stevenson in this in in this game today but i mean this is a browns run defense that's pretty stout. one of the best in the league yeah and 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 so I was I was a little dubious, like what Stevenson's impact would be. I thought his versatility, because unlike Harris, he is more useful in the passing game, would allow him some opportunities to gain some yards uh, if they schemed it up right. But they just just ran at them uh, yeah. and ran effectively. And again, obviously having Trent Brown back helps. You didn't really see Michael and Wenu play at all today outside of coming in as a sixth lineman or a tight end. Uh, on a few packages. Uh, they went with those guys. I know Trent subbed out for a little bit there because he was tired or whatever that was. Right. But um, th this was the first time with their starting, uh, you know, offensive line here. Uh, your thoughts on how this kind of, you know, this game unfolded, how much you're crediting the line, how much the Stevenson. I mean, he ran. He's a tough guy to bring down, man. Yeah, I think the the one run that really stood out in terms of just pure Stevenson, right, was 
the five yard run off the goal line uh, when they went on the 99 yard drive and there was no hole there. I mean, there was no hole and he He just just, mashed his way through, mashed his way through for five yards. And once you get off the goal line there and you're on the six or seven or whatever it was, now the playbook opens up a little bit and you can start to run your offense when you're back down there. And it looked like he was contacted right at the line of scrimmage it looked like and he was able to push the line forward for another four or five yards you look at the power and the contact balance which is that ability to just kind of weave in and out of contact without losing momentum without losing his balance and to have that low center of gravity uh, those things are are really impressive for a running back and and those are sort of the the traits that you talk about the running backs adding to the blocking because so much of the run game is the blocking and the play calling. So what happens on top of that is elusiveness, whether it's a jitterbug type back or power and contact balance like Stevenson has. And it's really an impressive kind of package that he has because he has some, some giddy up in the open field too. When they, when they get him loose, uh, he's able to get up to some, some pretty good top speed there. And we saw it in the preseason on that big run and that was against the giants. I think it was the Reds, uh, the football team, excuse me. Uh, But I, we've seen it in the regular season now over the last couple of weeks, when they get him into the open field, he can really light it up in the open field as well. So I think the one thing too, that, that really stood out um, from McDaniels's perspective over the last two weeks, I would say, because Carolina's front and the Cleveland front are tough fronts to run the ball against. Those are two really good run defenses. The Browns came into the game, allowing 3.9 yards per rush. That was the second best mark in the NFL coming into this one. The Patriots averaged over five yards per carry to their running backs between Bolden, Stevenson, and J.J. Taylor. And you look at the running plan, the rush plan, if you will, the outside runs and the reverses really opened up the inside runs. And I think we talk about the word balance with offense. We talk a lot about run-pass balance, right? Did you run it 25 times and throw it 25 times? But balance in the running game, to me, is more outside runs, inside runs, right? Can you marry it up together where you can get the defense to have to respect the entire length or the width of the field? And that's something that the Patriots were able to do there today with the reverses to Kendrick Bourne, which were highly effective. Some of the outside runs that they had to Ramondre Stevenson on the toss plays and things like that. And then you marry that all up and you have these guys, uh, these edge defenders and the outside linebackers and the corners and the safeties all worried about these outside runs. And that's what starts to open up some of the inside stuff. And they ran a really nice duo concept or two in there. Uh, They've been running a lot more duo against some of these good penetrating and aggressive fronts over the last month or so. They were running a lot more duo, which is just double teams on the inside and just blow them off the ball, right? Instead of trying uh, power or gap schemes where it might take a little bit longer for those to develop, we're not going to let Miles Garrett have a chance to shoot the backfield. We're just going to come off the ball and, and muscle it down the field. But you can't do those types of concepts if they're just sitting inside and waiting for the inside runs time and time again. So getting those reverses going, getting some of the screen passes going, getting some of the toss plays going, uh, that seemed to really open up the entire running game, I would say, over the last two weeks, not just this week. Yeah, and uh, just in terms of you talk about balance, again, you know, between uh, how much you ran the ball versus how much you passed the ball, uh, you know, and yes, it was, you know, at the end of the day, uh, especially with the big lead, uh, it was more rushes than passes, but it's still a barely, fairly balanced attack. It also was just in terms of how the ball was spread around. Uh, you really, I mean, you had 
I mean, Stevenson led the way with five targets. Then it was four for Kendrick, four for Jacoby, four for Henry, three right. for Bolden. It was pretty spread out here. Uh, you even saw Aguilar get involved a little bit with some stuff more under, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage than downfield, though, you know, not a ton uh, right. there as well. But it is, you know, you're not going to start to overdo it and say weapons left and right all over the place. But options for, for you know, are, are starting to exist here as the offense gets a little bit more diversified, which I think is there's something to be said for not being a team that just has everyone wants Tyreek Hill. But if you just have Tyreek Hill, then you feed Tyreek Hill and that's all you right. are. And you see the kind of issues a team like Kansas City has when they've got the one to two main options here. This really is a very Patriots-y sort of offensive team where it's look for the open guy, look for the mismatches, uh, you know, and and scheme your way up and down the field. And you have a quarterback like Mack, it actually makes sense. So you're starting to see it come to fruition. I know you tweeted like, let's put the talent narrative to bed here. Yeah. it's. I still am not convinced they have high-end talent all over they, the place. They might not be a top-five talent team, but they're definitely an upper-echelon talent team. And I don't think you can argue anymore when, especially, I, and the reason why I tweeted that, honestly, was watching the end of that game, and I get it's garbage time, I get the other guys on the other side maybe aren't trying as hard, and those are some of the excuses you can use. But Nikhil Harry's out there making plays as the fourth receiver on and this blocking. team. And blocking. Right, and, and Brian Hoyer is going out there and throwing the ball all over the place in this game against the Jets also, right, to some of these secondary options for the Patriots in the passing game. If we can't get over that, right, and start to talk about this team as not necessarily having the Madden talent. Like, I don't know if you go ahead and you look at, at like a team like Dallas or uh, a team, you know, whatever team you want to pick, right? Kansas City, they might have guys, you go to Madden and you say, oh, who is the guys that have uh, all the 90 plus players, right? 90, 90 rated or higher. The Patriots might not be in that conversation, but they have really good depth on this roster. And we knew that going into the season that they had improved depth and they had some veteran players added into the mix that were going to improve their depth. And then they have a great draft class with Mack and Barmore and Stevenson coming in as well. So I think the depth has really improved on this team. I think the talent might not be top end, top five roster in the NFL type of talent, but still a more talented team than a lot of these. If you ask people, I guarantee you they would say the Cleveland Browns were more talented than the Patriots. So, well, the Patriots just beat them by 35 points. Yeah. So I, I don't think you can call them the more talented team anymore uh, when you lose a game 45 to seven uh, to one team. It, it just, that, that narrative I think has really become a, maybe we could have talked about it last year or a 19 or something like that. Not anymore. This team's got plenty of playmakers. And you talk about the, the balance in the passing game. And the, all great Patriots teams spread the ball around, right? All, all great Patriots teams have had this kind of ability to go to different guys in different situations. Hunter Henry's now sort of your red zone guy, right? And Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers move the sticks, and the running game gets uh, good stuff on the ground to give you run-pass balance. And there's just a lot to think about at times when it's clicking uh, for the opposition to kind of scheme up against all these different things that the Patriots can do. And maybe they don't have a Tyree killer or a Devonte Adams or whatever, but they have a lot of different situational players that can be good in different spots and good in different uh, schemes. I would say, right. If you put them in the right spot, you have them run the right route, you have them run the right alignment or whatever the case may be, they can be a really effective team. Yeah, I, I still want to see. I still want to see them 
you know, you're you're still going to give incompletes to the two big free agent signings of the offseason with Aguilar and uh, and and Johnu Smith. Johnu was out today. Yeah. He gets a pass. You still want to figure out ways to utilize their talents because they have talents. Not only that, they have talents few other people on the on this team have. I think that that's a huge key. You finally figured out, hey, Hunter Henry's your red zone guy. That's pretty cool. Right. Uh, and that movie made at the goal line there. Uh, I can't remember who he dusted, but oh my uh, goodness, John Johnson, who's not oh, a, Johnson, not, not a coverage safety. That he's he's a deep zone. Yeah, McCordy type, right? Evidently. So I was surprised to see him in man coverage. When I saw 43, I was a little bit Henry's eyes must have been like this because he just gone. Uh, So that was a great little move. That was an easy, easy score. But nice to see him getting those catches on those corner routes and those fades and, uh, you know, working stuff over the middle. So they definitely have a nice connection there. Um, And, uh, you know, you're you're able to get some stuff out of Bourne. Myers is Mr. Reliable. But that it's. There's some, there's another level because you have two of your more yeah. explosive guys with the ball who have not been uh, unlocked well, let's yet. See, because now that the running game has put some of this stuff on tape and now that they've put some of the short and intermediate passing game stuff, you're, yeah. you, you know, teams are going to load up against that kind of stuff, right? You know, teams are going to start to put uh, people at the intermediate level or at the sticks. And Nelson Aguilar is going to be one on one a lot going into the rest of the season and, right and you gotta you gotta try to get that you yeah. gotta try to, and that, that's on him and that's on mac to to be able to hit those throws but they're gonna be one-on-one quite a bit at the on the uh, deep part of the field with Aguilar because they're gonna have to commit the extra hat to the run game they're gonna have to worry about the throws to Bourne and Myers and Henry in that intermediate level and they're not going to be able to put a safety over the top of Aguilar all the time anymore not the way that the Mac is hitting those intermediate throws so when that adjustment comes and I'm sure it will come very very soon then it's going to be on Aguilar and and, uh, Mac to be able to hit those downfield throws a little bit more Uh, but I, I think what you see today with the balance Mac throwing for 200 yards and then them running for what was it almost 200 or whatever, uh, 184. Uh, th- that's the way the Patriots want to play offense. They don't want to be a team that's all one-sided. And I, I go back to one of the best pieces of Patriots content in the Belichick era was that 2009, a football life that he, that he did with NFL network. Yeah. And they have a clip of him saying I can't coach in, these guys. in 09 that all they have on offense is Randy Moss over the top or Wes Welker underneath. And they have no other threat, right? They have nothing yeah. else besides Moss on the deep ball or Welker underneath. And he says every defense and every team in the NFL that we go up against knows that that's all we got. Right. That's all we got. That's why I mentioned the Chiefs. This is what's right. happened to the Chiefs right. a, a, this right. year. They have Kelsey at the uh, underneath Kelsey. and Hill over the top. Exactly. Yeah. And the Patriots, even though they don't have a Hill or a Kelsey, they at least have that ability to attack every blade of grass and attack it in both avenues, whether it's from the pass or the run. And that kind of balance might end up giving them more production than having one really high end receiver mixed in with a bunch of, you know, other guys or just, just other guys, I should say. That's what I was saying. It's just, like I said, is even with that, you're going to create more balance and more problems if you're able to get Aguilar and Smith going. So I do want to see it. I am interested though, what you think, because we've talked about Patriots being, they've been, you know, uh, uh, something that's happened to them over the last few years uh, with um, with their running backs is they've been so predictable. You yeah. have your early down back, whoever when they're on the field, uh, you know they 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 run the ball X percentage of times, and then you have your passing down back. Right. Um, 
and that's just been how it's been. And it's just, you know, it's great to have those specialists, but it really does make you predictable. And they haven't had, I thought they think they thought that's what they were going to have in Sony, but they never did. Stevenson actually is a three down back and he is an interesting person because he can, we've seen it. Uh, The question is, Harris has been phenomenal running the ball this year, but who are you better with here uh, just because of their versatility? You know, is it possible Steven starts to kind of wrestle away some of that early down work from, from, uh, from, from Damian Harris simply because you can do more with him? I think it will depend on the game plan, right? If they're going to go into a game and they're really going to try to mash it and they're going to go against a weak run defense and try to run the football uh, 40 times in a the game, then I still think Damian Harris is yeah. the guy to be the workhorse, right? To be the guy that's going to carry the football that often game in and game out. But Ramondre Stevenson does that. And even Brandon Bolden to a degree, who's not much of a running threat necessarily in terms of volume, uh, but he can go out there and give a, a mix of run pass a little bit, kind of like what James White used to do for you, right? Four or five carries a game with the pass catching ability. So it, it, I think the one thing that you continuously to say, uh, think about with, with Ramondre Stevenson are the little things, right? Uh, ball security, which is not such a little thing, but you know what I mean, and pass blocking. Right. Can he continue to be consistent enough in those two areas, not coughing the football up and being able when called upon to at least be a speed bump on the way to the quarterback when he's asked to pass block, then maybe we could see him play a little bit more, but I would be remiss to say, I'd be a little bit concerned if I was the Patriots coaching staff with too many exposures for Ramondre Stevenson and some of those tougher type of assignments, right? Where he's got to have a dual read in a pass blocking scenario or a team that is uh, coming after him to try to strip the football or uh, whatever the case may be. You have to be able to do those little things well. Ball security, um, picking up your assignments and blitz pickup. And that maybe he would expand his role a little bit more, but I wouldn't lose too much sight of uh, of Damian Harris, though. I think Damian Harris is a really good back still and and truly your, your workhorse early down lead type of guy. Um, but Stevenson certainly looks awesome and is a great dual threat back, if you will, somebody that can do a little bit of everything. At the very least, if he's not taking away Harris's work, and again, Bolden has been fine. Yeah. Uh, Bolden's been pretty good the last the last month. He's been fine, and again, last week absolute was was Brandon Bolden revenge game. You know, for everybody who's saying I never want to see him ever again, Uh, he's fine. He's absolutely fine. But it Stevens is far more dynamic. If you're not worried about him with blitz pickup uh, in pass pro or fumbling issues, if you can get past that, he's just more of a playmaker. So you'd have to think when Harris is back. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Stevenson is eating a, a, a bit more into that third down role and or alternate, you know, uh, change of pace back it, role or whatever you want it, to call it's it. A, it's a good problem to have. Not bad. Right? It's a good problem to have when you have too many good players at one position. It's never a bad thing. Yeah, no. And especially, you know, when he can, you know, you know, run it the way he's running it as well uh, there. Uh, hard to uh, have a conversation, uh, you know, about the game and not mention the the moment at the end with yeah. uh, Jacoby, which was great. And so you're there, um, you know, and you had a better vantage point of just, you oh, know, yeah, how many people flooded the field. Um, so you know, just one great for Jacoby. Uh, it's been this ongoing story and it's almost like we don't even know what to, what to talk about anymore now that he finally got his touchdown. Yeah. Uh, but he gets his first score. Uh, was it 135 receptions or something before his first touchdown? Yeah. Um, 
And uh, then everybody fled for it. You see the whole team gather around him. Great moment. And all of a sudden there's like 40 guys around him. Like did yeah. the whole sideline empty? What, what did that look like? It was 90% of the sideline yeah. emptied. If there was 50, if there was 53 players on the sidelines, usually a couple more because some of the inactive guys just stand out there and sweats and stuff like that too. Yeah. Right. But let's say there was 53 players. I would say, 46 of them ran, you know, ran down to the end zone. A couple of the defensive guys um, were still on the bench because they had just come off the field from the drive before and, and were, you know, as a fourth quarter, they were tired. Right? So they, they, they stayed on the bench, but uh, it was, you could tell that it was almost like a delayed um, reaction from the bench because I don't think they realized uh, who it was who had the ball at right. first, right? Maybe they thought it was Kendrick Bourne or, or Aguilar or something. But as soon as everybody realized it was Jacoby, it was a dead sprint. Even Bill uh, was was clapping and, and was excited for him. So uh, we saw the whole sideline clear. I don't, I can't remember the last time the entire sideline emptied for one player scoring a touchdown. I think that that really shows how much Jacoby Myers means uh, to the football team and his story and his work ethic and all those kinds of things. It's so Patriot-like, the type of career path that Jacoby Myers has had. And to now finally – it was funny because uh, it was either the play before or the the play before that, but in that sequence – in the end of the game there, I actually think it was when Mac was still in the game. He was actually wide open in the end zone on one play. Just on, he happened to be on the backside of the read. So Mac never got over there, but I was thinking to myself, Oh man, like he was, he was wide open. And then to see him come back and get it there. Uh, the only one little thing that Alex Barth pointed out uh, was he's from Atlanta. He's an Atlanta native and he's going home to Atlanta uh, on Thursday night. So this, uh, this blows the homecoming touchdown. Right. But uh, like Kendrick Bourne said, after the game, you do wonder if this is going to break a dam a little bit. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Right. Atlanta's going to be the, you know, this was, this was breaking, this was popping his cherry. Atlanta's going to be the come out party where he gets three of them. Yeah. You never know. I mean, that that's how these things, they come in bunches. It tends to come in bunches. So maybe this is the, uh, the first, of many hopefully for for jacoby myers but uh, you see just some of the the contributions that he makes to the team and and everybody just seems to really love the guy those 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 contested third down catches he had one early uh maybe first or second drive he took a big shot over the middle held on to the ball um it's just what he does he does he does the dirty work he gets no glory uh great for him to uh to pull this one out here uh, a couple of questions rolling in. So I'll just ask you, um, I know we were talking about the defensive front and the guys that you wanted to see them play. Um, how did you think Barmore held up uh, today uh, in the run game? There was one run early on where they seemed to target him. They were a little going bit. at him a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, they were going. To, I was really surprised early on that the Patriots didn't go to that Carl Davis at the nose tackle with Godshaw and Guy as the yep. ends, and that really big, big base defensive front that they ran last week against Carolina. But they want and, Barmore on the field. Yeah, I think Barmore is just at the point now where he's just too good to. He's to too keep good him to off. take off the field. Yeah, right. so maybe a little bit um, early on in that opening drive of targeting Barmore a little bit in the running game at the point of attack, but didn't seem to affect them all that much. But I, I would really just point again to the chess match that went on after that opening drive and the Patriots going into that base defense, and then there was a point in the second or first or second quarter where the Browns went no huddle. 
and because they got the Patriots base defense on the field four linebackers on the field and they went tempo, no huddle, didn't allow the Patriots to substitute for two or three plays in a row. And Baker was finding throws on the linebackers to the tight ends in the middle of the field out of empty. And then just like out of nowhere, they decide to huddle. Right. And, and they huddle because they want they wanted to change their personnel. So they run another player, they run a tight end off and a wide receiver on or whatever the case may be that allowed the Patriots to then go ahead and substitute. So they get another DB on the field and take one of the linebackers off. And there goes the, the empty versus base advantage that the Browns had. So I was really shocked by they, the Browns really pivoted very quickly to the spread stuff and the empty stuff and said, we're going to turn this over to Baker and, and let him throw on the linebackers. And then when the Patriots adjusted back, I was, so, I was shocked that Kevin Stefanski didn't, didn't continue with the, with the back and forth. Right. And didn't continue to try to exploit the mismatches uh, against the Patriots linebackers. And the Patriots just really dominated the coaching matchup again here today. And, and we're going on, three, four weeks now of the Patriots just absolutely out coaching and, and whooping the opponent in that department. And uh, it's good to see that the Patriots can still coach their butt, butts off because early on in the season, it was getting a little bit dicey at times there with the coaching, right? Uh, the decisions in game, but also the game planning and, and some of the play calling and things like that. You just, you never know, right? But here the uh, last four weeks or so, the Patriots are are coaching their butts off. How much of that has to do with, again, we talked so much was hand in hand with um, the the offensive line. One is integrating personnel, you yeah. know, you, working in new people, not sure entirely what you had, what, how the parts fit. And sure, you're going to be growing pains. You you had a massive roster roster turnover. But so much of the rest of it had to do with uh, the, the offensive line trickle down, particularly on the offensive side. When we were scratching our heads about the play calling, I think so much of it had to do with worrying that the game's going to get away from them because they couldn't block anybody and they were going to get the rookie killed. Um, as you saw starters start to work their way back in over the last couple of weeks and then them being complete today, you're kind of starting to see the picture come together. So I think that had a huge, uh, like, yeah, there were some brain farts along the way, but the conservative style of coaching that they had those first few weeks, I think so much of it has to be attributed to that. Yeah, I, I honestly think that it ended up being more about figuring out the offensive line than anything to do with Mac Jones. Anything. Is, they yeah. they just didn't know what they could do because they didn't know whether they even had two and, and a half seconds and, to pass. And, right. and to, to be fair, they have their, themselves to blame partially for that because they took so long to put Mike on Wenu at right tackle. And yeah, right. They guard. tried to Band-Aid to leave him at guard. Right, and if, right. Right. if they had made that adjustment faster, then maybe we would never have gotten to that point. But that aside... Just talking about the offensive line, first and foremost, the the one big surprise head scratcher of this game is that Why Mike was Karras on, in there. That Mike on when is the odd man out. Yeah, here. And, and the only thought that I can give to it is they knew that Trent Brown wasn't going to be able to play the whole game. Tackle depth. No, they, right. So instead of changing it up every single time and saying, okay, well now this is a this is not when who on when who's the third tackle now. Right. Yeah. So on when who's the third tackle and maybe if they feel good about Trent being back in full capacity next week, yep. we see on when he'll go back to left guard. But I think that interior trio of Karis, Andrews, and Mason, the continuity that they've built, the chemistry that they've built, I just don't think they wanted to shake it up. And that, I think that that's they, what they, I was thinking too. Yeah, because uh, otherwise it didn't make sense. That's that's right. what I was thinking was. But like, there's like, there's no and and. 
Belichick didn't really answer the question after the game. Maybe we'll get a better answer from him tomorrow. But there's really no uh, explanation on tape or play performance of why Mike Onwenu would be the odd man out in this group. I mean, he is one of the best linemen that they have. So whether it's Trent Brown staying at right tackle and Onwenu going back to guard or them rolling with the Karras-Onwenu combination like they had before Brown came back, they have to settle on something with Mike Onwenu in the starting five. There's no reason to have Mike Onwenu on the bench. I mean, the, the PFF darling of last season. you know, right. And this season too. I think he's I know, I know. rated PFF offensive lineman right now. Yeah. So so to have him on the bench is is not a long term answer. The Patriots yeah. definitely can't have that uh, going forward. But I I got under and I think one thing that you know you talked about uh, after that Houston game. I remember Belichick talking about Ferentz, Karras, and uh, Mason or Andrews, whoever was healthy. For, I think Andrews was the one health lineman, uh, starting lineman for the Patriots. Just talking about the experience and the continuity and the chemistry of those three guys. So I think they felt really, really good about how their interior three was playing with Karras. And so I think they just didn't want to tip it over completely. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the most logical thing. We'll kind of see yeah. what happens. Um, we'll see what happens from there, uh, you know, going forward. But uh, yeah, it was, that was a little uh, interesting uh, as well here. A um, couple interesting. It, it, the line blocked extremely well, I should say though. And just yeah. looking at it, it's always difficult to evaluate the offensive line on the fly live in game. You really do need the coaches tape. So we'll see tomorrow when I, when I get the coaches copy, but it, it looked like Trent Brown was a difference maker in the run game. The fact, the fact that they were able to run the ball inside the Browns uh, in between the tackles, if you will, against this Browns front, I think you got to look at 77 and say that he had something to do with the fact that they were so effective running the football in the no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Um, so a uh, couple other things, just looking around, a couple interesting results. Pittsburgh ends up tying. They go to 5-4-1. and one. Obviously, yeah. beating the Browns is another team you're competing against here. Um, yes. So, again, the Patriots are carving their way into a potential, I mean, I wouldn't say driver's seat position, but no longer on the fringes here uh, in terms of their playoff positioning. And they've got the Falcons next, which, again, it's a road game, and I, and I still don't think the Patriots are good enough to just – chalk anything into the w column but that would be really disappointing if you don't win that game so you really feel like you're looking at seven and four heading to, into tennessee to play a team that's going to be without derrick henry and without julio jones right, right? that's tennessee yes. after yes so uh you know it's again you don't want to start you know you know like i said notching those wins before right. you get them but you're starting to feel that so so here's the thing we can get ahead of ourselves the team should not get ahead right, of right ourselves. right right but we're not I on mean, the team, so we I can mean, talk we about can't it. only because you know I, the. I'm not a thousand percent convinced that they're like there's a there's a version of this Patriots team that we've watched and covered over our lives that right. you could look at the schedule and be stunned if you missed more than one game in terms right. of one or two games all year, right? In terms of wins and losses, sure. this isn't that team, you know. No. You're not yet. too much. Too much uncertainty still. There's too much uncertainty, yeah. too much potential swing. Right. Um, you know, you're going on the road. It's a short week. You never know exactly how things are going to play. Um, so sure. But again, you're starting to feel better when you're looking at the schedule, when you see how they've played against the teams they've played. You know, now these moral victories are less moral victories as they are 
um, barometers, okay? Yeah. Because now you've won games against talented teams, and you've also been neck and neck against other very talented teams that you yourself probably are to blame for losing more than anything else, which was playing it too conservative. And I'm talking about Dallas and Tampa and Miami earlier in the year. But just as far as good teams are concerned, you've now seen you've now seen enough good teams to have a good idea whether you can stay on the field with them and who you might actually be better than. And so I think now with a little bit more comfort, you can look at some of these games and be like, that's a W. That's a W. I'd be I'd be really disappointed if that's not a W. Right. Right. So that's yeah. kind of where we and, are. And right you now. even talk about some of their losses you know, against Dallas and overtime against Tampa on the final yeah. play there. And those are two very, very good teams. Uh, Tampa is, is kind of in a rut with the injuries right now. But those two teams, the Patriots are right there with them as well. So they've played some really good teams. They've either beaten them like the Chargers and the Browns, or they've been right there with Tampa and Dallas. And you look at this game on Thursday night, I'm glad you brought it up because the, on the one hand, they benefit from the fact that they blew Cleveland out today. If this was a true four-quarter game against the Browns, then you would maybe talk about the physicality being a little bit more well, of an actor. Atlanta didn't play a full game either today. Right, right. But the point is, is that Cleveland, despite the fact that it was over after the third quarter, really at halftime, uh, the Browns are a very, very physical football team in the trenches. And now you have to go in a short week down to Atlanta on the road and play a Falcons team that – is not very good, but they do have a veteran quarterback that knows what he's doing and Matt Ryan. So you look at this game on Thursday, this is a classic trap game. This is a classic short week on the road, high flying team on a four game winning streak coming off a 45 to seven beat down. You cannot travel down to Atlanta on Thursday and expect that you're going to win just because you you've beaten the doors off of the Cleveland Browns the week before. So the Patriots, I'm not looking for the Patriots to blow them out. I'm not looking for the Patriots to win 45 to seven, but go down to Atlanta and take care of business. Cause that's what good football teams do. They just put it together. Even though it's a short week against an unfamiliar opponent after a really statement win at home the week before a good football team finds a way to win that game on Thursday night against the Falcons and the Patriots have, I'm ready to call them a good football team, but if we want to really start talking about them as a possible contender in the AFC, they got to go out there and beat Atlanta. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, and so that's Thursday. Evan Lazar will be covering that game. Um, yes. And so um, make sure you keep it here. It's a short week, so we'll have a ton of coverage leading up to that. Um, it will be messing with our Patriots beat schedule a little bit this week, but you will yes. have one Tuesday. I think, I think we're going to do them back-to-back, and we might do Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm okay. traveling down to Atlanta on Thursday morning, so that, that'll be a, a long day, but a fun day down there uh, with the Patriots-Falcons. So I think we're talking Tuesday, Wednesday for Pat's Speed, Tuesday recap show, Wednesday yeah. preview show. But Review preview, yeah. As Belichick said, it's uh, it's Wednesday night. Right. It, right now it's Wednesday night because the Patriots got a game on Thursday. So if you're going off of the Sunday schedule of the week, the Patriots are already on Wednesday night. And he mentioned in the postgame press conference, new coaching staff down at Atlanta, uh, not exactly what they thought watching it in the offseason. They got, a, you know, they go out. Whenever they have an opponent with a change of coaching staff on the schedule, they do projects in the offseason to study up on Arthur Smith and study up on Dean Peace and what those guys do so that they have a little bit of a, of a head start into these games. But Belichick said that 90% of what they looked at in the offseason is going to be obsolete because right. the Falcons have really been a lot different than what people predicted. So this is a totally unfamiliar opponent. This game on Thursday. Falcons are. 
in a rough spot right now. They're, it really they, comes down to just playing Patriot football. Just play your game. Yes. A re, a, the, the game you want to play yeah. right now. You're talking about again, uh, obviously Matt Ryan, he's still, he's a veteran and he can do some good things, but you know, Calvin Ridley is out. Um, yeah. It looks like um, Patterson today suffered what appeared to be a high ankle sprain. It'd be surprising if he were able to right. stick around in this game. Uh, you're not getting much out of the running game right now uh, there. I mean, even, even with Patterson out, you were looking at more Gallman than Mike Davis. Just offensively, they're really not able to get stuff going. Kyle Pitts, I'm sure they're going to scheme for him because really that's the only person who can really hurt you on that yeah. team right now. So again, it's just offensively they don't. And do their secondary's been and a defensively. Mess all year long. Yeah. Defensively, you can do almost anything you want against them. So yes, Patriots play their style of ball, uh, and they should hopefully be all right and able to uh, hang in there. And, uh, and and get that W. Um, that's going to wrap it up for us, Evan, for a yes. couple of reasons. There's a three-year-old approaching me right now, and there's nothing <laughs> I'm going to be able to do about it. Um, <laughs> so we're going to wrap it up before they take the screen. And we've got 45 minutes, which feels pretty good. There she goes. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, she's a star. Anyway, yeah. so thank you everyone for all for watching. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, CLNS Media. Follow Evan Lazar. I'll have a write up up on the site shortly. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Patriot CLNS. Personal handles you see on the screen. We will see you guys soon. Thanks a lot.